Hey guys, I'm Shay, a three-winged two on the Enneagram that finds her home in Atlanta, Georgia. The goal of this podcast is to create an ongoing conversation about the tensions of following Jesus in today's culture. Join me and many others as we have conversations that challenge and inspire us to follow Jesus in our day and age. This is Just Shayin'. Hey guys, this is Shay, and thanks for tuning into this podcast. Uh, I've been super excited about this podcast, and um, yeah, I want to tell a story before I say who it is. About a couple years ago, some friends of mine sent me this awesome sermon online. I was like, dude, you should totally listen to this. She's amazing. And I was like, cool. I listened to it, and the best way I can describe it was it was about the parable of the three talents. And honestly, it turned the tables of my heart. I don't know how else to describe it, but we all know that Jesus is a comforter, but he's also a confronter. Um, And so in the beauty of that tension, um, I found that God was flipping tables of my heart. So I began to um, just begin to read about like who she was that was sharing the sermon and I was like, anytime something new would pop up, I was like on it. I was like, dude, there's something on this woman's heart that she has been marked to just speak truth in such a beautiful way. Um, She's also the co-director of Frequency, uh, which you should totally go check out their podcast. That's Frequent, C-S-E-E, because I have to specify for friends that I share about. Um, You should totally go check her and her husband out. Uh, they're amazing. And honestly, like, because all the things that really matter in this world, they have beautiful accents. So I think it is worth your time. It is worth your drive from work to home or from home to work or sitting in your cubicle pretending that you're working. This is worth your time. So everyone, this is Katya Adams. And thank you for coming on my show. Thank you for having me. This is really fun already. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I, I reached out to her on Instagram and I was like, hey, would you ever be willing to do this? And it was awesome just the way that she's like, yes, I would love to. Uh, and so we've just been working on, yeah, I don't know. I would like to just bring up also that she um, has a book called Equal that to me, again, is turning tables on many, many aspects of what man has made Christianity. I mean, man as a whole, not just men specifically. Um, But it is just turning the tables of my heart. And I'm all about women in ministry. I'm actually a woman in ministry and it's still turning some tables. And I'm like, dang, Jesus. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I literally was reading parts of the chapters to my roommates yesterday. And I was like, listen to this. Jesus is straight crazy. Crazy. (laughs) And so I love, <laughs> I literally like highlight so much. I'm like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm, exclamation point. Um, I, so- I love that description of him because I think that is 100%. Like when we're reading the Gospels, if we're not understanding that people saw him and thought this man is insane, then we've not understood what he was doing because he was literally turning up and doing the weirdest things for people. Like they didn't have a grid for it. We read it and we're like, oh yes, this is what Christianity looks like. Like it's so sweet. And for them, they'd be looking at Jesus like he was a madman. There there was no kind of, oh, he's such a sweet, lovely, hippie kind of person. They were thinking this guy is crazy. 
and super offensive. And, and I love that. I love it when I read the Gospels through the lens of Jewish culture. It's like, wow, he, yeah, he really was crazy. <laughs> he was. And I mean that with so much like, I don't even know what the word is. Like, I, like he, was, he was a madman in the most beautiful way. And I, I think it was, I was reading this, I think in the book you were talking about um, the lady who came and like um, broke the jar at his feet. And you're talking about how scandalous that really was. And I was like, the times I've heard that preached, it was never portrayed as scandalous. It was <laughs> never portrayed as like, there's no way it should have been a lady. There's no like, and I was just like, what? Like, we need to get this book to every pastor, every church. <laughs> Like, this needs to be women's ministry 101. <laughs> I love that. I totally agree. Yeah, I, that story is one of my favorites, not only because um, of Jesus' response, which I think I'd love to talk about that because it's one of the most profound yeah. responses, I think. But first off is a beautiful story because of her courage. Like, I try to put myself in her feet and... Even thinking about it makes my heart pound and butterflies in my stomach kind of moment because it's like a woman in our day and age entering a male-only boardroom while she's scantily clad, um, while they're in the middle of something so, so important that, you know, we fill a boardroom with 50 men in their suits discussing something, throw in an uneducated, scantily clad woman. And obviously that's not an exact analogy, but that's kind of gives us the sense of how wrong it was, how inappropriate, how everyone in the room would stop and stare at her like, what on earth do you think you're doing? And they, it's not like they were sitting on chairs, you know, they're all reclining at the table. So how do you get to Jesus? You've literally got to climb over men to get to Jesus. I mean, I can't, I, I start thinking about it and it makes me feel slightly sick if I would ever have to do something like that, you know? Oh and gosh. then yeah. we read it and we think it's so normal or like, of course you should have worshipped him like that. And I'm thinking it was insane. What she did was humiliating to the nth degree. It's unbelievable. I think like, I want you to keep talking about it just because I, I love that. It's so good. But I think too, it also shows like what we think is desperation does not even compare to like, would I really be willing to like topple over men to get to Jesus? Like, Totally. And we, you know, we often talk about counting the cost and I'm not sure many of us put in that list, humiliating ourselves to the point of having zero reputation anywhere. Like, we tend to kind of try to preserve reputation somewhere. This woman was like, I am going to be the laughing stock of everybody. I think that's why Jesus is almost like, I'm going to preserve your reputation in future generations. Like everywhere this woman is going to be heard of. Because he knew that in her current day, her life was over. This is like no more reputation for you. You have so humiliated yourself that no one is going to look kindly at you. But I, I love it because, of course, Jesus does the unthinkable because while everyone is looking at her with so much judgment and there's so much shame all over her as she's doing this thing and the men are disgusted and muttering about, you know, what she's doing and blah, 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 all of that. And you can almost imagine how thick the religious spirit was in that room. Ooh. Um, 
At the same time, Jesus does this crazy thing, which is basically to avert their gaze from her to him and take all of the shame, all of the daggers that they're throwing at her with their eyes, takes it all because he suddenly says what she's doing is good. And it's like he's aware that this woman has done something so beautiful and there is shame being flung at her and he steps in the path of the shame and he starts saying, hey, hang on, I think she's done what's great. And suddenly no one's talking about the dirty woman anymore because she's a stupid woman. She doesn't even know better. Now they're talking about the dirty rabbi who doesn't mind being touched by a dirty woman in public, who doesn't mind having a woman let down her hair, who thinks it's okay for a woman to kiss his feet. I mean, we think that's just weird. To them, it was horrific. You literally would, no one would want to talk to you ever again because men didn't talk to women in public, even family members, let alone allow strangers to come and let down their hair, which was an act of devotion from a wife to a husband in private, and kiss their feet. Like that's basically dirty. It's not inappropriate, it's dirty. And so they would be, you know, looking at this woman who is completely, that's my husband calling me just for any listeners over there. (laughs) Um, You know, they're not even thinking that she's dirty now that they're thinking he's dirty. And that's what I love about Jesus, that he doesn't mind how much shame people want to throw at him as long as he alleviates the pain that you're in. And I think that is just the most beautiful thing about him. Crosses, right? That's what he did on the cross. I was he just made, gonna say that's what he, he did on the cross. Like exactly. he literally Wow, I'm being my mind's being blown. I love it. Like the Bible says he made the crosses a spectacle, and that's exactly what he did. He's like, Hey, enemy, you're going at my people. Here I am. This is the spectacle. This is the place of shame. This is the place of brokenness. And he basically draws all of that to himself on the cross so you and I can walk shame-free. I, I just, anyway, I could go on and on about this forever, but I just, it makes me love him so much because I'm uh, like, who does that? <laughs> well, that's what, yeah, like literally, in the, oh man, like I feel like that is just huge because I think every person, no matter where they are, their story brings some kind of shame. Yes. So when you explain it that way, it's like, no, he took what you're experiencing he took it and said, no longer will they see you that way, but they'll think of me as the dirty rabbi. They'll think of me of like, you can't be the Messiah. The Messiah would never do that because he didn't come the way that they, the Pharisees thought he would come. Yes, They thought yes. Oh, he's going to be a political leader. He's going to take out Rome and he's going to do all these like macho men things. And he's like, no, I'm going to come as a lamb and I'm going to yes. like turn all the tables on religion. It's mind blowing. And what I find provoking for us in that is that I don't know if as Christians, we've always been the best at doing this for other people. You know, the people who are covered in shame, the people who society thinks are dirty, the people who religious people think are dirty, the people who we think are dirty, right? We, I don't know if we've always been the best representatives of how Jesus would be in the room 
because as Christians, we often try to avoid what we perceive to be dirty mm. rather than, and I'm talking about human beings here, sure. rather than being drawn to them and lifting them up and in an incredible gospel way, absorbing the brokenness that they feel, absorbing what's flung on them. And this isn't just about, you know, doing this for other Christians, although it is, it would be nice if Christians were kinder to each other. (laughs) That would be amazing. But it's about how Jesus did it to society. He wasn't just doing that to people who believed in him. He was just absorbing the shame of humanity. And it's, I find that provoking. This isn't like an easy talk. This isn't like, oh, I'm so perfect in this. I wish we could all be perfect in this. This is like, wow, this is the thing that provokes me where I meet people and I'm just like, uh, there's an instinct in me of, oh, go away from me, get away from me. You're inconvenient or you're, yeah, you're dirty, you're broken. There's too much of that. And yet there's the pull in me, which is the voice of Jesus, of what do I look like? As Jesus, what do I look like here? Oh, man. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love it because the whole, the whole idea and the conversations that I want to have with people are what does it look like to, look like to in a sense, follow Jesus in the 21st century? Yeah. But what does it look like to look like him in modern day times? Because I don't think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be something we don't think it is. Like, yeah. We. And so when, you, when you're sharing about, like, what would Jesus really do? <laughs> like, it probably, like, he would turn tables. He would do the thing that would break somebody's shame over making everybody clap for him. Yes. And I think that's where it's like, I know that's the cry of my heart. And I honestly believe it's the cry of this generation. Like, I want to see real Jesus. Like, not yeah. Jesus that, you know, my mom and dad, like, this is what they told me or felt bored Jesus in Sunday school. Like, I want to see the church thriving and this is what it's called to look like. Yes. So, man, so like just even you sharing that, it's like it provokes me and challenges me in a good way to be yeah. like, Shay, this is what this is that moment where grace is will, where it's like I'm empowering you to live like me. Yes. Yeah. You know, the difficulty, I think, when you're talking about the 21st century, I I love that. And this is a conversation I've been having with a few people recently, especially around social media. And we can get to that in a second. But (laughs) what, what I think is really provoking for the Christian in the 21st century is that we have become familiar with the people who Jesus was radical in loving. And we think we are radical if we love those same people. But it's actually not very courageous in our day and age because there's a level of sanitization and familiarity about those groups. So, you know, I'm talking about prostitutes. I'm talking about sinners. I'm talking about uh, the broken or the non-Jews, you know, and and we can kind of feel like we're being so Jesus-like because we, we are even okay with prostitutes coming near our building. And that's wonderful and it's powerful and uh, God loves prostitutes. That's 100% fact. But I don't know if we're being that radical in the 21st century if we're using that bar as we even welcome this group. Because in our generation, there are different groups that are more radical to love. 
And there are groups that would be perceived to be even more broken or even more depraved than those groups were in Jesus' day. And so I think we've got to be careful as Christians not to use the types of people that the Gospels represent as what was seen as scandalous and think, oh, wow, we're so courageous because we love those same types of people. That's not scandalous in our day. But you know who is scandalous to love and welcome into your church in our day? Well, it would be, I'm going to be, can I just feel at home and be Oh my gosh, please. I wouldn't want it any other way. So it would be the pedophiles. It would be those who are transgender or struggling with gender entirely. It would be the groups of people who even in non-Christian circles, people want to stay away from. That's where the scandal lies for us. And so, again, I'm not claiming any of this stuff is easy. I'm not claiming any of this stuff is what I'm doing perfectly day to day. So please hear me. I'm aware we're all on a journey together. But I I do wonder sometimes that we've misunderstood the principle in the Gospels because we're trying to make a model out of types of people that were scandalous in the first century and pat ourselves on the back because we are so brave now. And I'm thinking, no, no, the principle is love those who nobody is loving. And in our day, yeah, maybe in some groups, there's still some scandal around prostitution, all of that stuff for sure. But I can think of many groups who are much more scandalous. And what the church does in response to those groups is, I think, what reflects most the heart of God in the 21st century. And that's where we need to be starting focus, I think. No, I totally agree. And I think that's the thing. It's like we can celebrate like where people are are hidden like getting it and, and hitting the target but it's like what about those people that you don't want to talk about from the pulpit who's loving those people yeah and I'm and this is preaching to myself because I know I could do better I think a lot of times what keeps me is kind of like I don't really know what to say but truthfully people in that day didn't know what to say about that woman. no they didn't you know so I <laughs> So I, I was having a conversation earlier with a friend that was over um, and I was telling her my prayer lately, and this is such a dangerous prayer and I'm not telling everybody to pray this prayer. And I was like, I don't even want to say it out loud, but it is what it is. It's real to my heart. But I was like, God, I can sit here and I can like read the gospels and be like, really? Like why, why, what the heck Pharisees? Like you're literally living amongst him and don't even see him. And then I felt like the Lord was like, Shane, like, at the same time, how much am I moving around you and you're not seeing me? Yeah. And yeah. I was like, okay. Um, and so my prayer from that has been, God, help me to A, love the Pharisee. Yeah. B, take the Pharisee out of me. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, can, I can portray, like, a radical life. The yes. world missions, you know, blind sea, like all of these things. But at the end of the day, like, how would I treat people if I was surrounded by transgenders or people that struggle with sexual identity or, you know, sexual status? Like, how would I really? I mean, I believe my heart wants to believe, right? That I would be like, so full of liquid love. And, and I think in some aspects I would. But how do we disciple those people? Like, how do we love them and say, if you want 
to like if if somebody that made me super uncomfortable of sorts came into the house and just was like threw their their self at my feet, like what would I do? I'd be like, what are you doing? Yes. And Jesus would embrace it and say, yes, do this. Totally. He just, I'm just like, it's so mind-blowing. It is. It like, is. <laughs> this is where we start thinking, wait, I thought Christianity was easy. And it's like, <laughs> no. We have totally, this is one of my bugbears. Like I preach about this a lot where people view Christianity, Christians often view Christianity as this a lifestyle that is neat and tidy and sensible and respectable. And I'm like, if you think that's what Christianity is, uh, you have totally misunderstood what you've just stepped into. Because there's nothing neat and tidy about the gospel. There's nothing predictable or sensible or respectable. It is insane. You, when you become a Christian, you volunteer for a lifestyle of pure insanity because you're doing things that normal people don't do. At least that's what we're invited into. That's the point of the impossible. Normal people are doing the possible. You and I are invited to do something so much crazier than that. And we are totally deluded if we think that in the journey to that, we look great. We don't. That, you know, welcome to Christianity 101. You're not going to look fantastic as you do the impossible because you're going to go through a whole series of moments of looking terrified and looking crazy and looking really stupid. And even the wisest people in your circle will be saying to you, is this wise? You will be looking like the foolish because the Bible talks about God using the foolish to shame the wise. You know, all of that. And somehow, I don't know how we've got here, but so many of us as Christians keep deluding ourselves that the Christian walk enables us to look great. It doesn't. We're doing something wrong. If everyone's like, you look awesome. I love all the decisions you make. It makes me feel really warm and gooey inside when I see all the ways you live your life. You know, that's just not Christianity. (laughs) And so I want to say to you, dear listener today, uh, if you're looking crazy, you're probably doing something right. Keep going. (laughs) I love that. It's so true. It's so true. It's Oh, it's hard because we have this saying like with like Will and Iris Global people, it's like you can't confuse like the goodness of God with like comfort totally, uh, because he's constantly the invitations that Jesus give are constantly get out of the boat, leave everything, you know, you know what? In comparison, hate your mother, father, son, daughter, and everybody in comparison. I'm not telling you to hate them. I'm telling you to love me more than. Yes. And it's, it's this constant crazy. invitation to, um, like, it's a constant irritant where it's constantly irritating my flesh. Yes. All the time. And that's yes. the invitation. Like, that is the gospel. Will you die? Like, will you die yeah. every day? Pick up your cross every day. Yeah. So that you'll know resurrection power. I oh. mean, you know, it's like the flip side, it's unthinkable not to do that when you see the flip side. When you think about the tangible, lavish goodness of God that you will experience in the midst of lots of discomfort, the miraculous provision of God. I mean, I, you know, I'm speaking to you, you've seen these multiple times with what you do with Iris. And that's just the reality of God. If we're going to say yes to the crazy, then we're also going to see him come through in the crazy. And for me, like, 
I mean, without that, Christianity is really the most boring thing ever. Exactly. I'd rather not know him. At that point, I'm like, I'd rather just be living without God because to live with God, but without really God, then I'm just like, what's that is boring than anything else. Yeah. I, I, it's like, what's the point if you're not going to do it and really do it? Like, what's the point? But with anything, I think it's the same. Like if you're not going to pull your, put your whole heart into something, why really give it a shot? Completely. I'm totally with you. (laughs) Yeah. I'm I'm like, I feel like I could talk to you forever. I'm like, this is so good. Um, Man, I think it is just, it's astounding to me because I feel like there's a generation that is just crying out for like, what really is Jesus? What really is Christianity? I mean, for me, God's got me back reading like the cost of discipleship, like going and taking it back. Like grace is not cheap. Yeah. Like salvation is not cheap. True story. Yeah. I'm like, man, like he's, I feel like, again, like he's turning tables of my own heart, like in a good way. And I feel like he's preparing people um, for what's coming. Cause I believe there's, there's the great awakening. If you want to call it, there's this move of God that's already here. Yeah. And so it's like, who will steward it? Who will, who will keep going? Totally. And I think that's the key really is recognizing like what you said, who will steward it. You know, the great awakening that the world is waiting for is the great awakening in us. We, you're it, you know, it's not like we're waiting for some kind of, the, the church goes through different eras in many ways. And you, we've had a, incredible revival moments where there's been, you know, big tent revivals and it's a come and see revival. And a good friend of mine, Alan Scott, talks about how, it, you know, what God is doing in the church today isn't a come and see revival at all, but it's scattered servants everywhere. And I, I really think that if we're still waiting for a revival to happen in a particular region so that we can all go and taste it and send our friends so our friends might hear about Jesus there, then we've misunderstood uh, the church for the 21st century. Yes. God is, the kingdom is ever increasing. And so God is not formulaic. He's like, that's great. We did that. Pockets of revival. And I'm not saying that that won't be happening at all on the earth anymore. But what I'm saying is the kingdom is increasing and what is happening is what was happening in geographical locations, specific contexts, usually based around one person's remarkable anointing and gift is actually being broken to lots of tiny little millions of pieces in the form of Christians, individual Christians on the planet who are carriers of revival. And so for each of us, you know, it can be easy to wait for an external revival because it alleviates us from responsibility. You know, I'm waiting for God to do it somewhere else so I can go visit. And God is saying, no, 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 this isn't a generation where someone else is going to do the stuff and you and I get to go and sit and enjoy. But this is a generation where God is inviting us. It's an incredible privilege to be walking revivals, to allow Holy Spirit to so impact us and transform us and change us and shape us that our lives become insane in and of themselves. And so wherever we go, there is a pocket of revival because Jesus is entering the room and messing everything up. 
And so I'm, I'm really passionate about every Christian, every man, every woman finding their voice in this generation because this is not a generation of sit back and wait for somebody else to do it. But rather there is a booming invitation from heaven consistently to us in this generation. Each and every one of us get to play if we'll just accept, if we'll say, yep, okay, come on, mess up my intricately detailed schedule of the day and come and interrupt it, come and inconvenience me. You know, honestly, if every Christian would start saying to Holy Spirit, okay, go ahead and inconvenience me, a whole lot of things would happen. Because I want to tell you, I know Holy Spirit, not as well as I'd like to, but I'm getting to know him. He is incredibly inconvenient. There's nothing convenient about when he shows up. Like some of us are waiting for revival to happen on our schedule. Mm. And we're like, why is nothing happening? Well, it's because he's inconvenient. So if you're waiting for revival to happen according to what's convenient for you, then you've misunderstood the call. But if we're willing to wake up every morning and say, I've got such a wonderful day planned, now come on and inconvenience me. If we're willing to say that and partner with him, okay, that's where the world starts changing. Man, I love, yes. I wanted, my roommate got up and did a praise break there. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Just because it's so true. Like, it's like, you have to get to the point where you can relinquish control, basically. But it's like, we're taught in our lives from a young age, how to control our lives. Yes. And so that's the thing is like, will you die to that? Yeah. There's so many, there's so many things that you said that I was like, oh man, this is so good. This is so, so good. If you essentially we're not looking for Jesus to turn tables, we need to be the ones that turn tables. Totally. We can't look for one person. We can't look at Sister Susie and be like, do something. We have to go and be like, I've got to go do something crazy because this is what's required. Like, this is following Jesus. Exactly. And before anyone like misunderstands the turning tables analogy, I'm like, you know, the Bible tells us to have conversations, make sure our conversations are full of grace, seasoned with salt. And I think too often the Christians get the recipe the wrong way around. We're full of salt, seasoned with grace, and we wonder why people are are finding what we're saying and how we are impalatable. They, They literally, I mean, if you have a meal that's full of salt and seasoned with a little bit of food, you're going to vomit. You won't be able to handle that food. Mm. And so I think as Christians, sometimes rather than understanding that when Jesus shows up, he is full of grace. It's his grace and kindness that draws people to their knees. That's what the Bible says, right? Your kindness draws me. And so I think like 100% we were created to turn tables and what turning tables looks like is being so full of grace that the world is blown away. They literally don't know what to do with it. Not being so full of salt that no one can stand being anywhere near us. Oh. But it's a radical love that is, it's overwhelming. And, and people, I mean, it's just as offensive for so many, right? Radical love isn't something that people stomach easily, but it's being so full of grace that people encounter the kindness of God in a way that they never imagined. And I think I'd love to see the church kind of readdress the recipe that we're using. Oh, man. Yeah, I think 
if they if we were just to have this like moment where the church is like we're willing to change the recipe i feel like the world would look 100% different totally 100% the church doors would be open it wouldn't even matter about church doors we'd be doing life in our houses and on the streets and man it would just look so beautiful in so many ways because the broken are drawn to grace it's a beautiful thing <laughs> it's that whole thing where it's like and i think it's the same story we started with but it says i forgive much because you know like i man oh i feel like i could go on and preach it's so good it's so good. <laughs> it's so good but it's like because you've forgiven much i forgive much and it's it's that thing when you know grace yourself and you haven't cheapened it in your own life, you will be that much more ridiculously available to give it. Yes. The person that is almost offensive to you. That you're like, I'm going to give you grace. Just radical, crazy love. Yes. Man. (laughs) It's provoking, isn't it? (laughs) It's so provoking. I'm like, okay, I got to get in my car and I got to go love people. Like, (laughs) like, oh man, it's so, it wakes me up. And I'm like, that's where that awakening is. It's that, it's that, it's no longer, I mean, it'll be found at church. I'm not, I love church and I love people in church. And I'm connected to the local church. I love it. Yeah. Heck yeah. Love it. But there's that place where it's that I can't expect my pastor and I can't expect all these people. I have to say, wake me up. Totally. Wake me up. It's a call that goes out. Follow me. Follow me. And so I feel like I could talk to you for five hours and I would love that. <laughs> Let's do it. But I know, like, I don't even know, like, where, like, I'm just so, my, my spirit is stirred. And I pray that all the listeners, like, are just like, yes, like, letting truth um, hit their spirit and their soul to remind them, like, it's not comfortable. We're not called to live comfortably. And in the 21st century, it sure ain't comfortable, but it wasn't comfortable when he, he was walking the earth either. And that's why he gave us Holy Spirit. Yeah. He gave us Holy Spirit. He said, I got to go because I got to send the comforter, the one that'll lead you and guide you. And man, it's so good. It's unprovoked. I feel like I could just roar, even though I should, because <laughs> my microphone would be like, what is going on? Yeah. That would be, yeah, fun for the listeners. <laughs> yeah. So, um, in closing of sorts, because I'm like, I feel like I need to have a session too. <laughs> but um, I would love for you to pray however Holy Spirit tells you to pray. And then after that, I'm going to ask you my fun question. Okay. Um, but yeah, and just, yeah, so good. So, yeah. so good. Holy Spirit, we just said we, we love you. We love your presence. Jesus, you have won our hearts. Huh. And Papa, your kindness astounds us and overwhelms us. And so, God, we just invite you right now. I pray for every listener that, Holy Spirit, you would rest on them and overwhelm them with the goodness of the Father's heart of prayer. And we just invite you, Holy Spirit, come and lead us. Come and lead us, inconvenience us. But we do pray that you who have made your home in us, that you would take the reins and you would lead us into radical love, into radical grace, 
into being the hands and feet of Jesus wherever we are, whatever that looks like. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, now that your presence would fill the room of each listener and your presence would be tangible, that you would make yourself tangibly manifest in that room. Hey, (laughs) we love you and we honor your presence. And we just, we just pray, come and mess us up, whatever that looks like. <laughs> come and mess us up in the best possible way. We want to be so full of your spirit, Lord, that we are overflowing with your grace and your kindness. And I pray that courage would rise up in every man and woman who listens to this. Courage would rise up for destiny. You were made for the impossible. You were made for greatness. You were made to shape and transform. His DNA is in you. (laughs) That means you were made for this. And so courage to be all that you were made for. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I'm like, (laughs) woohoo! I'm like, I'm like on the Holy Ghost like moment it's so good <laughs> oh man so I'm gonna ask you my funny quote well I don't even it doesn't have to be funny I say that I use that word lightly but I ask every person that's been on in this particular season of your life yes if you could have any three people living or dead and I'll just go ahead and say that Jesus is already there um so it sounds sanctified yes. just kidding <laughs> um but yeah, if there is any three people that you could have at one table, uh, doesn't have to be anything particular. There's no limitations. Dream big. Uh, okay. Who in this season of your life would that be? Oh, such a good question. Okay, so it would be a powerhouse table. Definitely. I would like to have, number one, Catherine Booth. She is one of my all-time heroes of the faith. Um, If you don't know William and Catherine Booth, they started the Salvation Army. And Catherine Booth was the original um, Christian equality liberator for women everywhere. Just phenomenal, powerful woman who was known to be an incredible preacher. Um, In fact, William Booth is is quoted as saying... um, that when things were too difficult and no one was listening to his preaching, he would send on Catherine because they'd hear her. So Catherine, definitely hero. Have to have another Catherine, Catherine Coleman. I mean, oh goodness, yes. Uh, to like, <laughs> whenever I hear stories about Catherine Coleman, it sounds like she was pretty crazy and nutty. <laughs> so I'm sure the dinner party would be interesting with her in the room. Um, but And I know that she wasn't perfect by any means, as none of us are, but there's something about her friendship with Holy Spirit that I just, Uh, yeah, I want that friendship with Holy Spirit. Um, And number three, oh, this is hard, last one. I think it would have to be William Branham. Ooh, solid pick. Oh my gosh. Just, there's just too many stories, too many glorious moments. I, I've heard some crazy stories about recreation miracles that I just, yeah, I would have to have them in the ring. And if I could sneak in my husband. Well, because it's your it's table. Fun to have my husband in that room because it'd be so fun to hear from those people with him. So that's my, that's my dream pick. 
Yeah. That is that's a solid table. <laughs> that's a proper Christian geek table too. <laughs> it's true. I feel like that would definitely like in the world of 21st century that would be an amazing Instagram post. Can you imagine? <laughs> I love it. Yes. That's awesome. I love that. I love uh, Catherine Booth. I don't know too much about her. Um, I know who she was when you said her, but I'll have to go dig in more of that. One of my favorite books. I'll have to send you the details because I can't remember who wrote the biography for them, but it is, it's a little book on William and Catherine Booth. And it just, I have read that book so many times, just underlined pretty much every word in there now because their lives were so so provoking um actually we named our daughters i've got a a son and a daughter my two-year-old daughter we named her evangeline after one of the booth children who was became the first female um general of the salvation army so um yeah i just love anything to do with the boots i'm like they're awesome you're like big fan girl i love it (laughs) I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on. And want to just say thank you to all the listeners, of course. Um, and I know you are so much blessed uh, because I know how much it's been a blessing to me to just have a chat and have time with you. Uh, what you carry is so beautiful um, in the way that you are. I don't know. I feel like you're both lion and lamb. You have this. Beautiful way of being tender, but at the same time, like, you know, like it's not easy, but at the same time, why wouldn't we do it? Like, it's just very beautiful the way that you carry out um, thank you father's so heart. So, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I've loved it. Of course, this is great. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Get back to work or keep your eyes on the road. Mm-hmm.